You are listening to T-Mac and Cookie Monster on the Radiant Culture Podcast. Podcast. Engaging an exciting conversation on life, God, and pop culture. Every week on the Radiant Culture Podcast. Hey, 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 welcome to the Radiant Culture Podcast. Um, this week we're doing something a little bit different. Uh, I'm Dazzle and I'm joined by two special gentlemen who are going to introduce themselves. <laughs> Dazzle, this is our first time on a show together, yeah? Yeah, yeah. Hi, everybody. I know you've missed me. I'm sorry I left you in the hands of these other guys for all these weeks. Uh, my apologies. I'm here now. You can rest assured. Peace be with you. <laughs> it is I, Biscuit. I'm back in the house uh, with Dazzle. And uh, we've, got, uh, we've got another fantastic guest. You know this man, weighing in at 150,000 pounds <laughs> and shaking, introduce himself. <laughs> I hope there's a spiritual pounds, guys. <laughs> yes. Yeah, we've got Mr. Kuwas in the building. Hey, How you hey, doing? hey, everybody. How are you guys yeah. doing? Okay, so this week we're going to have a Bible study masterclass um, and we're going to be looking at um, some critical issues um, of how the Bible relates to us as Christians, some of the content in the Bible and how best we can use it to further our work. So how many, um, how many books are in the Bible? 66 um, and uh, that's well debatable if you're Catholic because you want to add another that 10 an from the, the Apocrypha oh, the, oh those yeah. ones Bible um, extra Bible plus yeah extra right. canonical script uh, texts so uh-huh. they're called that's a technical but term for them they are like everyone has established that they are legit that they're part of the Bible well those that uh, don't want them included say that it's because uh, from a chronological point of view, I mean, there's quite a few errors in it in terms of just the history and some of the places and so on. So they're not they're not very good. I mean, they are a, a good as historical accounts. So yeah. these are things that actually happened. Uh, but some of the details in there uh, would not lend those uh, kind of books to the kind of, um, what can I say, the uh, level of accuracy, yes, yeah. Uh, that you find with the rest of the 66. I'm going to put on um, <clears throat> my, my tinfoil hat yes. for the sake of the audience member <laughs> sitting there with those antenna up and uh, yeah, like his feet off the floor and he's like, no, there's a conspiracy here. Yeah. <laughs> and then all that. Yeah. Well, so for his sake or her sake, uh, it's good that you started on this point because maybe that's one of the best places to begin when we're talking about a Bible study, yeah. the validity of the very material that we're saying you should study. Yeah. So, of course, we're operating on the assumption that it is all true and correct. Yeah. But the skeptic comes from the opposite side and says that, okay, fine. If you're saying that the Bible was, uh, was, was put together from various manuscripts and so on, could we not also infer that there was an intended design by man mm-hmm. to create a certain narrative Mm-hmm. that would then go forth. I mean, lots of people go and say that the Bible was designed to actually enslave people. Yes. And um, that's, that's a popular sentiment. So we say that it is the word of God. Mm-hmm. Can you speak into that, that aspect of people put it together? So couldn't those people have had a plan to say, yes, let's create this book that will just trap everyone while we get rich or something like that? Yes. Well, um, that is a distinct possibility. But I would believe people that make those kind of, and this is my, my great concern with those that make those kind of arguments against the Bible, is that a lot of those are surface arguments. People then don't go and actually, ha- people make those kind of arguments, don't have a deep understanding of the Bible, haven't read it very well. Or I'm not saying that they're the only ones that do so. I mean, the guys who have read it and done textual criticism and have come up with their, ob- with their objections. And I respect that. But most of the time, people just say that uh, without really taking all the you know, evidence yeah. into account. Now, when you look at the Bible, you have to look at, because it's uh, a book out of history, you also have to look at how other historical books uh, that we have today, things like uh, from philosophy, like Socrates and so on, um, how those were preserved and how those were uh, put together. Oh. Mm-hmm. So, 
my question is beyond the historical overlap because mm -hmm. people can even manufacture that mm -hmm. what makes the bible the word of god okay so it is very difficult let me just put it across to our hearers that they really need to get this it is very difficult for one individual to put together the bible as it is today as some scheme to you know trick people yeah. because of the weight of the evidence that I've just spoken about. Also, when you look at uh, some of the prophetic things written in the Old Testament that have come to pass in the New Testament, uh, Daniel's prophecy about the kingdoms or the empires came to pass uh, with um, first the Babylonian, then the Persians, then the Greeks and, and the Romans and so on. So we, we do have history uh, backing up some of the things yeah. that were written and prophesied. Uh, that said, of course, that may not be uh, enough for certain people. But when we say that the Bible is the word of God, again, it is God, God breathed. It's inspired. Yeah, you'll have to break that down. All right. <laughs> so when you talk about inspiration, there's a scripture in uh, Second Peter chapter, Second Peter chapter one, verse. 20 to 21 that says no prophecy of scripture originated with man but men spoke as they were carried along by the holy spirit um so when you talk about inspiration we're talking about people who are writing not out of their own minds but people who are being inspired who received revelation um and having received the revelation wrote down what was revealed some of that revelation was directly god speaking to the individual and the individual mm -hmm. writing it down so moses writes the ten commandments as he is hearing it's like he's taking dictation and then he writes it down then you have jeremiah who receives the same revelation but then he has a guy called uh what was his name um was it uh barak yes he was a scribe and so he would write, he would tell him, write this. God told me the following, and I want you to write what God said to me. And then Barak would write those things mm -hmm. and would store it as a record. So you have all these kinds of revelation where God is speaking to people directly, uh, giving them, downloading information to them. And then either the person is taking it as dictation or calling someone else to write it down or receiving it and then writing it out in the form of a letter like Paul would do. So Paul says in Galatians chapter 1, verse 11, he says, I want you guys to know that I didn't get this gospel from man. Okay? I didn't get it from anybody. This came to me by revelation from, from Jesus Christ. I want you to, you know, to, to get that and to understand it. Um, and so he would have received the revelation and then he would now put it down and write it on papyrus or whatever it is that they're writing on at the time and get guys to read it as letters and this is what the lord is saying so that's basically how that would work can, can i have one more before you jump in? I, I, yeah because i will forget this yeah, yeah it's not it's not me it is the, um, blame the caffeine man you mentioned that uh, the the new testament was yes. um was pretty much 95 percent um, depending on who depending you look on, at, yeah. look at ninety four. Some guys even put it as high as for some for some texts put it as high as ninety eight, ninety nine yeah. percent for some. Yeah, which some is, parts which of is it. pretty pretty awesome, pretty high. Yeah. Um, now my pastor several weeks ago, uh, he has this thing. He always asks us to you know, hey, who's got your Bible? Please raise your Bible and whatever. And says, ah, you people with digital Bibles, get out. Well, he doesn't <laughs> actually say that, but he may as well. Yeah. Um, because his thing is that look. The digital thing it can turn off or it can be manipulated it can be changed before we even get that far we've also got so many versions of this yes and so many retellings so with that many versions before since we're talking about bible study um where does one find the accuracy Okay. between those uh, how is the word of god maintained across those versions so that i i'm, I'm getting king james and someone is getting new century but we're both getting the word of god yes. even though you look at two verses and like wait they kind of not lining up yeah yes okay so you need to realize again you see when we look at inspiration and authorship of the bible you need to realize firstly god has an idea right god wants to communicate something wants to say something so god grabs a hold of somebody and says hey this is what i want to say and the person receives what god is saying he writes it down all right and then other people say like hey i'd like to know something if god had an idea god wanted to say something i'd like to hear it 
uh, but I just don't speak the language in which you wrote it. So how can I get to understand what God said? Yeah. Oh, okay. What language do you speak? Ah, I speak Shona. Okay, let's translate this into Shona. Okay, translate it into Shona. And then I'm able to understand what the Word of God is. So uh, that's the process of uh, trans translation, yes. Not interpretation. Interpretation is something else. But translation into another language. And that's what happened. And this is why you have so many versions. Because the original languages in which the Bible was written have various shades of meaning that uh, other languages are not able to capture completely. Yeah. So you realize that, for example, the word love in English is just the one word, yeah. but in the Greek it has so many shades of meaning. There's a word for uh, familial love or brotherly love. There's a word for romantic love. There's a word for unconditional love. Um, and so those are words in the Greek and they have to be... Uh, translated properly. So what you have in different versions now is to say, okay, um, we want to give you the word of God exactly as the people who heard it would have heard it. So we're going to do a literal translation. Yeah. A word, for, they call them word for word translations. Um, and then there's guys that are, will say, there are certain aspects of the language in which the Bible was written that are idiomatic. So to give you the word for word would not give you the meaning. Yeah. I'll give you an example. So the Bible says, you'll find somewhere where the Bible says, um, the one who has uh, a bad eye will not be blessed. Something along those lines. I think if you yeah. look at Proverbs 22 verse 9, somewhere there, it talks about having a, a bad eye. Now in the Hebrew, bad eye is idiomatic for being stingy. Mm-hmm. So if you read the word for word ones, they will have bad eye. But what they'll do is when you go into the margin, they'll give you an interpretation for what bad eye means in the yeah. Hebrew. It means to be stingy. It's very much like in Shona, you hear, you'll have people say, and I use this illustration sometime back when I was preaching uh, about it, is, you know, like, Aniruoko. Yeah, exactly, exactly what I was thinking. <laughs> That's the exact example. You know, if yeah. you're going to go, yeah, exactly. Yeah. But if it, a word for word translation of what I just said, I know the walk or can you translate what I said? You'll say he has yeah, a hand. Yeah. We, right. We all do. Yeah. We all. And, and so, yeah. And he's got a hand. And so what? You know, like big deal. We all have one, you know, but when someone who understands the Shana language, the idioms and the uh, proverbs and all this kind of stuff, the figures of speech will understand that when I say, I know the walk I'm saying he's a thief. Mm-hmm. So that's what <laughs> 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 moment of discoveries. Yeah, no, yeah, mm. yeah. So the translation that's a, a, a thought for thought, they call them thought for thought, mm-hmm. will say, What was the person trying to communicate? This is what I'll say to you. I won't give you the literal, he's got a hand. I'll tell you what he was trying to say. He's a thief. But the word for word will say, He's got a hand. And then in the margin, we say, well, that actually means in Shona. Then in the Shona culture, it means that he's a thief. So that's the idea with translation. Mm-hmm. So some, there's a family of translations that are word for word, that are more literal. And then there's a family of translations that are more thought for thought. And I'll give you the extremes of both sides. The extreme for the word for word is the KJV. Yep. Um, and the guys really love that one. And you hear people quoting, you know, it's weird. Yeah, the the King James English is because it's, <laughs> it's, it's the most literal translation that you can find. And then on the other side, well, there's quite a few corny ones, but this is one. Uh, sorry, not corny. Anyway, you understand what I mean? There's guys like the message. Oh, yeah. Yeah. yeah you the know, message the message Bible. Yeah. yeah, yeah, yeah. Like oh, my gosh. Message, it's like, like a short. thought for thought with, you know, on steroids. Yeah. But more uh, gentle kind of translations that are more thought for thought than literal are your NIVs, for example, your um, CSV, uh, CEV, NLT, New Living Translation. Those kind of translations are your thought for thought. And then your ESVs, um, your, uh, as I say, KJV, NKJV, NASB, uh, those are more your uh, thought for, I mean, uh, word for word, more literal translations. Amplified is, uh, yes, that one would be more word for word, but different in that 
it's not just word for word, but wants to give you the idea of what each the shades of meaning behind each word. So, um, if there's a word like no in the Greek, that the the amplified will give you what the word no could possibly mean, all the words or all the shades of meaning, and put that in brackets if you've seen that in the amplified. So you have that in brackets. Uh, faith, for example, those who trust in me, those who trust in, lean on, and all that gives you the full range of what that word would possibly mean. So just to unpack it. So it really uh, is more a word for word than anything else, not, not a thought for thought. So, the average Christian, yeah. how many of the uh, versions should they have? <laughs> you know, I, I just want to be a good Christian. <laughs> just wanna, uh, look, I don't want to miss, I, I, I don't know if I should translate between six or two. That's a very good question. Yeah. yeah. That's a very, very good question, actually. Yeah, that's a very good question. Um, it is my considered view, personally, and people could argue with me on this, that everybody should in effect be what a theologian is. Um, because people think that having all these various translations is for the teachers of the word. Um, but remember, the Bible says that we all should be, you know, the word of Christ should dwell richly in us. Yeah. Uh, and that we must admonish and teach one another. I think that's Colossians three fifteen to 16, around about there. And um, that means everybody should have the capacity to teach and have the desire to do so teach one another and to absorb the truth. And, and so I would say, whatever you see a guy like, maybe you've heard maybe like guys like John Piper, and maybe you might not study to the same extent as he does for the number of hours and the number of commentaries that he reads, but I think there should be an appetite mm -hmm. for uh, reading as many translations as you can get your hands on, uh, because it is part of loving the Word of God. It is like, you know, this is how this could sound, and this could, this is how this could look. And seeing one thing from multiple angles, you know, it's like a for those guys who love football, you know, it's like watching a replay from different angles. I know that, yeah. you know, the the illustration may be pretty bad, but it's, it's like watching a very good, you know, a very good goal from different angles, from reverse angle, and you see it, and it's given five times, you know, from mm -hmm. all, and it's slowed down, and it's all that, and you're marveling at the artistry that's involved, you know, and the skill level that is displayed, and you're like, whoa it gets better and better with every replay you know yeah. what I mean and that's I think the idea that you want with the word is to say with every translation you want to be reading and saying whoa man I, it, I know it sounded good with, in, with my usual one that I read but I didn't know it sounds this good when I see it in the KJV mm -hmm. oh my goodness and look at how it looks when I look at the Amplified but oh my gosh can you imagine I didn't know you could even get that you know that kind of enthusiasm should be shared with everybody I think everybody should be like that wow. yeah I just love how innocent that sounds like I, I've grown up and like had this this monstrous perception of the Bible it's just like too long didn't read so it's like <laughs> I, I, and then where do I start like, yeah you know when, when when I first got turned on to the Lord um, I was in junior school mm -hmm. and the the pastor who gave me my very first Bible suggested to me that I start in Matthew yes because then that would be where I should start I can't remember, mm -hmm. remember what but but my, my question becomes for someone who's like me who thinks okay I hear you mm -hmm. and you've made it clear that the Bible is credible uh, where do I start though okay and, and because there's people who've made interpretations upon interpretations and some have published their own bible mm -hmm. and then it's the so-and-so's bible yeah. you know? but for me where do i start where i can understand it so i'm not manipulated by these enthusiasts and suits yeah they're very good yeah add to that as uh -huh. well in high school we we got the half bibles we got the gideons and yes little things in <laughs> start here Yes. Which isn't even the whole thing. But yes. anyway. <laughs> Look, great. Um, I would say, I think, as, as some guys like to say, you know, start from the beginning, you know? Uh, the beginning. In the beginning, God made the heavens and the earth. Let's begin in Genesis, because that's where it starts. Um, if I can just go and answer a question that maybe you didn't ask, but I'll answer it anyhow, or suggest a translation to begin with. Um, you can begin with the NIV. Um, and or the ESV, English Standard Version. Those are very good versions to start with. If you're starting out, don't start with the KJV. Um, yeah, that will just take away your appetite, you know, for because there's so much in there, like uh, old uh, English. Are there multiple Vs for baby? 
just, just wondering is it just one or anyway go on okay <laughs> or if you in again it's about a language issue if you if you understand it better in shona get a shona bible that's actually quite yeah. interesting there so yeah i'll say start with, start from genesis start from the beginning and if you want as well to get an idea I usually say to people, start in the Old and the New Testament at the same time. So Genesis and Matthew. Mm. How, how does that work? How do you digest it then when it's like that? Isn't that like two different halves of the story? Like I, I can't watch season one mm-hmm. and season ten. Mm-hmm. I'm never going to know what happened between the other seasons and that part where so-and-so did this and then and then and then and then. That makes it logical why season 10 is the way it is okay so one of the beautiful things of having a bible reading plan as i said i'm just it's an it's an example you can do it in any way that suits you but what i found in having parts of the new testament that i'm reading at the same time as the old testament is the beauty of reading leviticus right talking about the blood sacrifices and all that kind of thing and i'm actually or Exodus, whatever, and I'm in John, and towards the end of it, and Jesus is speaking of being the Passover lamb, and just finding, whoa, okay, so this is it. I remember the one time I was reading Leviticus and the temple worship stuff, and I was also reading Hebrews. It was not because I, I planned it. It was because of how my Bible reading plan was working out. So I was reading Hebrews, and, and it was explaining what the temple system was all about and how it was a shadow of the things to come. And then I'm reading about the actual temple system in the context of the time. And it was beautiful to be able to read them together at the same time to say, listen, I started off reading this shadow thing, and now I'm reading what it actually means. I'm getting the interpretation of it. And so it was a pretty cool thing to just see at the same time. But then again, that's a quirk that it's happened for me quite a few times. Might not happen for everybody, but that's the benefit of it is that you're able to see how it hangs together. Because one of the the things that you can get bogged down with if you start with the Old Testament and you just read the Old Testament, that there's a lot of stuff in there that you can wind up asking yourself, okay, what's this got to do with humanity now? You know, you can feel like, okay, and then... uh, what happened? Joshua went to this place. Oh, and then Gideon uh, put together some brambles and got these other guys and he beat them. He whipped them. You know that story, right? He actually beat some people. I'm not just putting, making that up. <laughs> yeah. He, he, he smacked some people really like senseless. So you read about that and it's fascinating in its context and in its time and everything. You can have a laugh. But what's the redemptive story because god is a story that he's telling god created all things creation went bad god spent a whole time pursuing creation to redeem it firstly got a hold of one guy called abraham and then the nation that he represented and then after that through that nation came the guy who was going to bring everything together jesus and then everyone who believes in him is connected to the first guy that god got a hold of abraham and there's a time coming when there's going to be consummation, new heavens, a new earth and everything. So that's the story of the Bible in its context. So it's just from beginning to end. That's what it's basically saying. And you need to be able, as you read the Bible, to see that. To see, okay, all right. So because you can get bogged down in uh, Samson's hair, God caught in an heirloom and whatever. Yeah, but then to see what Hebrew says. I don't have time to tell you about the faith of Samson or the faith of Gideon or Jephthah, whose child got burned. What kind of dad are you? You sacrificed your child. You know what I mean? But then to see uh, that other side as well at the same time is very enriching and, and very helpful as well, just to feel that sense of, oh, okay, there's a story here and there's a purpose that is you know, going through the story. Some of the, the stories you're describing... Mm-hmm. Um, would get a uh, no under 18 rating. Yes. Uh, in most cinemas and <laughs> TV channels yeah. this day and age. Yeah. And um, some would say that that's no longer relevant. We, we, don't, uh, we don't whip people. We don't fail them. We don't burn them. We, we certainly don't run around in horses and carriages. And uh, we, we, we've got GPS. We wouldn't get lost for 40 years. Mm-hmm. So <laughs> we've got things like that. And people yeah. might say, what is the relevance of these ancient stories they they are ancient there's no like well actually let me not say that i don't know if there's a modern day version of the bible where it's like a jesus today or something i don't know it could be there but 
they may say, okay, what is, why? why? Why should I dig into these old stories which kind of don't seem like they have anything to do with, with my Instagram? Yeah, okay, so we have to ask the Bible itself, right? Yeah. If you've got all these old stories, do you have any answer to us or for us to say, why should we look at all these things when we're now in 21st century? I mean, we do bullet trains and spaghetti roads. When, yeah. We're <laughs> not on donkeys anymore. You know what I mean? We want them. No, we won't. So, I mean, I do get that. But if you look at what the Bible says in 1 Corinthians 10, verse 11, it says that uh, these things happened as an example for us. And they were written for our instruction. Yeah. Um, and so even if you look at how the apostles themselves, when they were writing letters, you find that they would constantly go back to the Old Testament. You look at Jesus when he's teaching on divorce in his context and in his time. Uh, that was several hundred years after um, what he's actually talking about. And he says, uh, yes, there was a time when you were allowed to divorce because your hearts were hard, but in the beginning it was not so. And then he hearkens to Adam and Eve, the creation story in the garden to explain a modern day issue around divorce and remarriage. So you find that the Bible in the time, what the Bible was for them in the time was relevant for where they were at. Yeah. Jesus was teaching on resurrection as well. I know this is a very topical issue, resurrection, but it actually is true. It happens, it okay? Happens all <laughs> I gotta time. put it out there. <laughs> resurrection is yeah, real, man. Yeah, hey. You know, um, and yeah, you know, when he's, when he's talking to the Sadducees and the Pharisees, he says, you know, and when God was speaking to Moses in the bush, he said, I'm the God of Isaac, Abraham, and Jacob, you know. So he's a God of the living, not of the dead. And he's actually trying to prove to them that the resurrection is going to take place by giving that story, which had have, have, have happened hundreds of years previously as well. So you find that even as the apostles were writing themselves, they were going back to stories from the past yeah. and showing this is what the story means. And also understanding what Jesus said to the uh, Pharisees in John five thirty nine. he said, you diligently study the scriptures thinking that by them you have life, but these are the scriptures that testify of me and you refuse to come to me. So the whole Bible is testifying to Christ. Um, and because of that, it is always going to be relevant because Christ is always going to be relevant to life and so on. Um, and so it's in that instance, or sorry, in that way that the Bible is relevant even for now. The issues that the Bible speaks about are the issues that we're facing today. Uh, the questions that the people are raising are the questions that the Bible answers. Questions with regard to worth, questions with regard to where history is going, uh, the kind of questions that philosophers have been dealing with over the years. Uh, there is a question and there is an answer every time the Bible has an answer that it does give. There are people who don't agree with it and that's why they live the life that they live. But if you believe the Bible, there's an answer to the great questions of life. Where is history going? What is the significance of my life? Uh, that, as the philosopher said, meaningless. A lot of people have that sense of life being meaningless. What is the meaning of life? And there's some people that have, if you look at it in the developed world, everything is going very well in terms of they've got a lot of success, a lot of prosperity, but suicide rates are very high in countries like Australia, Canada. You find people killing themselves a lot more often than you would expect of a, mm -hmm. in a, in a, of a country that's where everything is going so well. Uh, it's because of that sense of worth. People come to that point where they feel my life, whether I live or die, makes no difference. And then they live stream their suicides and stuff like that on Facebook and all that kind of that gory thing. The Bible says the life is not meaningless. Your life has a context. And always the context comes back to who is Jesus Christ to you? Um, uh, and who is he in the context of the times and eternity and so forth? Okay. So I don't know if that answers you. It that, answers, but it yeah. also gives me a new question. Yeah, yeah. And, and that is, um, the Bible is eternally relevant. It yes. will always be relevant. And yes. you, you brought up a very good point that even the people who were uh, putting it together or writing it were also telling stories from well before they were even alive. So mm -hmm. if, if it was relevant even long before them, it continues to be so. Mm -hmm. That said, if we're going to come back to the issue of actually studying it, mm -hmm. how should a person actually interpret it should i take it literally mm -hmm. should i take it anecdotally mm -hmm. should i just 
figure out how I feel about what it's saying and just take that upon myself? I mean, how should I actually be reading it as I study it? Yo, you guys, your questions, <laughs> man, man, man. These are hard questions. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's a very good question. I think with that issue of uh, how you interpret the Bible, I think the one people call it there's a science or art behind it depending on what you want how you want to see it people call it hermeneutics mm -hmm. which is the art or science of interpreting the bible and there are principles around it um depending and i don't want to go too too deep into it because there's different schools of thought uh, but i think the general principles is principle or the overarching principle is to come to the bible and understand that the Bible is written with an intent to communicate a message. What is that message? Um, and um, how can I receive the message that the Bible intended to write or to communicate to me? So that's, I think those are the basics, if you like, of, of setting yourself up, laying a foundation for how you're going to interpret and read the Bible. There's some things that are very clearly supposed to be taken literally. When Jesus says, I am the way, the truth, and the life, no one can come to the Father except by me, that is not an, uh, an anecdote. That is something that he's saying to his disciples, and he's saying it literally to them. So part mm -hmm. of that thing of wanting to understand what was the original intent brings you to look at things like, again, these are aspects of how you interpret the context of what was said who was spoken to, what was said, how would they have understood it, and it encompasses a lot of things. There's a lot of things with context. There's the literal context or the literature context. Yeah. We spoke about that. We, 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 we touched on that a bit. That w What was the language used? What was the... What were the Nyawuzo Singwi, if you like, of the time, mm -hmm. uh, or the idioms of the time? Uh, there is the geographical context. Where was it written? So if you understand that Israel is this really dry place that's got a lot of yeah, rocky places, and then the guy says, the Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. He makes me lie down in green pastures. When you understand that context, you're like, Wow. So there's not, it's not like this is, is this, is this, it's not like England or some other one, one of those places where it's, there's meadows everywhere. You know, the, a green you know pasture, there's, there's, there's intent. Didn't it's deliberate. He's looking out to find a place that's not like general. So he, lie, he makes me lie down on a green pasture. Wow. He's deliberate about, you know, making sure that I'm, I'm cool. I'm covered. That's the you know. That's my shepherd. The Lord is my shepherd. So that understanding comes from what? From understanding the ge the geographical context, if you like, in which David wrote that. It's not like this. There are all these meadows and whatever. It's a very deliberate thing that he was doing. So, so sorry. yes. So that would speak into the intentionality of where God chose to tell his story from, because yeah. you would realize that later on you'd have that kind of analogy to think of, mm -hmm. which would emphasize. So without understanding that geographical context, the weight of what David is writing is lost on you. Yeah. Because he makes me lie down in green passages and next verse, you know, he leads me by the still waters. Oh, next verse, you know, and you go on. But because you know that Israel is this place that where, you know, this is not the kind of thing you find every so often, you think, wow, he's really, like he's ma he makes an effort to bring me to a place where I can have the kind of life or comfort or whatever and i don't mean this in a prosperity gospel type way i mean in the sense of he he's deliberate in uh bringing you to a good place or bringing you to a good end and you see so that's the just that that's just the the geographical context and then you've got the context of the times as well you know when you, if you understand uh the history uh, around something then you are able to say oh okay because at this time, so-and-so was ruling. So when, for example, Paul writes in uh, Romans 13, and he says, I want you all guys to respect the authorities and submit to yourselves to the authorities. If you understand from the historical context that he's writing in the time of guys like Caesar, there were guys like Nero at the time that he wrote this, very evil guys who were throwing Christians to lions and so on. Then you understand that when he writes it, because you could then say, well, what if you're living under a dictatorship or a totalitarian regime? 
does that still apply? You know, if we have a good mm-hmm. government that does what we want, surely we can submit. But if they don't do what we like, so we sh- definitely we should rebel or whatever. But he's writing at a time when the worst of the worst is in power. And yeah. he's saying, guys, we must submit to these authorities. That understanding of the historical context helps you to see, oh, okay, so submission isn't just when I, I'm, I'm, I'm cool with the guys in charge. Even when they're not cool, I still have a duty before the Lord to submit. And you see, do you see how that helps yeah. with, you know, with the interpretation of Scripture? So that all the, and the various kinds, as I said, various kinds of context. Uh, um, if you look at what you call it, the, the friend, the parable of the friend, or okay, the parable of the Good Samaritan. The yeah. Good Samaritan. You'd understand the history of how the Jews and the Samaritans were against each other, you know. And then Jesus tells a story where all these priests would not touch this guy, and then it was a Samaritan who helped him. Uh, and if you look at how the guy answered, and when he was asked, "So who showed him compassion?" you know, and the guy says, "The one who who helped him." He couldn't even say the Samaritan mm-hmm. because of that enmity between the Jews and the Samaritans. And Jesus chose to use a guy that was so reviled and make him the the hero of the story you know it, it adds weight to yeah. you know when you are uh reflecting on it or when you're trying to understand what he's doing so I, I know i've gone a bit on and on here but it was so important for me just to put that across to say there's of course different contexts that you need to be mindful of when you're reading the text of the you know of, of the scripture and that help you to interpret and it's something that you develop as you grow you know in your christian walk that um, something that came up as you were speaking was how you you, you easily make reference to scriptures. Mm-hmm. So these days, it's almost like we we once you've re- you've come up come across the right number of enthusiasts who speak the way you do and can line up scriptures um, the way that you've done, then you kind of take that and that's what you go with, and you don't really then go back to the Bible. So. Um, I'm bringing it up because then the the theories on how you should you should like have memory verses yes. and be able to just regurgitate and I, I I'm just these are these are like a stack of things that just cause me to leave my Bible to gather dust because yeah. it's like okay fine if I then try to go and get into I'm not as good as this person who knows they can put this 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 this, this and then they come up with this story so like again it keeps coming back to. <laughs> yeah, I've, I've got to I've got to read this Bible because it's it's relevant to my walk. But what about the things that happen outside of the Bible? Mm. The real experiences that we have in exchanges with other people that are not necessarily in the Bible. Okay, so I, would, I think I want to come back to something you just said there because it grabbed my attention about this thing about okay, then I'll leave my Bible to gather dust and so on and so on. Um, what I find is. See, part of the problem with when people talk about having memory verses and why you should uh, you should have memory verses, you should have this, is that it it kind of makes it sound like something you have to do, something legalistic, um, or you must do. But if you look at uh, the first psalm, uh, it says that blessed is the man who does not walk in the counsel of the wicked, doesn't sit in the seat of scoffers, and uh, I don't know the third thing that he doesn't do. <laughs> but the, you know the but this is what he does. He says, but his delight is in the law of the Lord, and on it he meditates day and night. So it's not he meditates day and night and his delight is in the law, but it is the delight that is first. So his delight is in the law, and because of his delight, it drives him into a life of discipline in which he meditates on the word of God constantly. And so what you find a lot of the time is that we are starting our people off with, uh, guys, let's meditate on the word of God, right? This is how you do it. And this is the context and this is that. And come to this uh, school and this class and we'll show you in your memory verse. Have you done your memory verse? You know, you join this church exactly. And you have a mentor who's supposed to make sure that you are on your P's and Q's with your Bible reading. Uh, in, in this church, we have a Bible reading plan. Are we all together on the plan? Why are you slacking behind? If you're not, if you're not going to be on the plan, I'm not going to talk to you. You know, you know that kind of stuff. And it's all this thing that we're whipping each other into this frenzy of duty. But we don't begin with the delight. 
Because it's the, it's the delight. We start with the delight. When you look at guys like Job saying that I desire the word of God more than I do my daily bread. You understand? You, see, you have someone who says, you know, just like when you feel like, oh my God, I'm hungry for food. Mm-hmm. Says, but <laughs> this pales in comparison to when I haven't read the word of God. I'm famished. Get me a Bible. Get me a verse. I can't go to bed without having read the Bible. Not because I'm afraid some tokoloshi will come. You know, mm-hmm. if I don't read my Bible. <laughs> but because you delight so much in the law of the Lord. Read Psalm 119. These are not guys who are being, you know, having their arms you know, behind their tight behind their back and whatever. Hey, read the word and being choked. You have guys in there saying, I wake up in the middle of the night to thank you for your righteous laws. I mean, think about it. The guy wakes up at midnight to say, hey, you know what? Thank you for your word and goes back to sleep. What's that? You know, <laughs> not, you know, not to fight territorial spirits. You understand? <laughs> but they wake up in the middle of the night to thank God for his righteous laws. And so we need to start from there. We need to start from delight. You know, um, if they're not there where you're hungry for the word, we start there. And that comes from God. God I want to delight in the word like that guy in the Psalms delights in the word so that that's what's driving me and not rules and I must and because my mentor said and that sort of thing. I really like that you've brought it back to God. I think sometimes it's, it's a weird thing that we do sometimes that I think we kind of leave Christ at the door mm. and we're just kind of freestyling in there yeah. and then it becomes a classist system and mm. all that and it's like, wh- where is the joy? You know, yeah. for the longest time I... I would struggle to pray, yeah. and then I wouldn't read my Bible. Yes. So it, it was like this back and forth, back and forth, and then you kind of live this life where you kind of give an impression, but the reality on the ground is that you're deeply miserable, yeah. and you have a huge void that you can't fill because the food that's supposed to fill you has been miscommunicated to you mm-hmm. and made a, a, a rigorous system of forced exercise yes. that you dread. Yes. And so you are persistently kept away from God and yet you're really just supposed to be able to take all your baggage and say God here's my baggage and the yeah and the beauty of being able to go to God is that you can be honest see there's so much pressure to love to be in the word you know so if people ask you have you been studying your word have you been reading your bible have you been reading there's so much pressure there's a performance that we end up putting on because we don't look like bad Christians or we don't look like we're not quite there we're not you know, lukewarm and woe to the lukewarm. You know, <laughs> what Jesus said in Revelation to the lukewarm church, he'll spit you out. Hey, so, you know, uh, and, and you get into this frenzy. But when you come to God, you can be honest. They say, you know what, God, I'll be honest with you. The only reason I'm reading this, and I've done this many times. The only, time, the only reason I'm reading the Bible today is because I know it's good for me. And I'm really not at the place where I'm delighting. Please help me to get to the point where I am delighting. Sometimes God answers right away. At other times, it comes over time. Um, but the beauty of being able to go to God is to, you can be honest and say, God, let's do this. I know your word is good for me. It just, just doesn't feel like it. Yeah. Mm, but, okay. Uh, okay, fine. Uh, I'll, I'll condense and just ask like two questions as well. Uh, number one, you're delighted, right? Um, yeah. Uh, I guess I want to know then we live day-to-day lives. We've got a lot of stuff going on. Uh, I, I, I want to. How do I now go about making sure I, I eat enough on a daily basis? Like, how? what are my greens? What are my, what's my meats? What, are, what do I make sure I do? How much is too... Well, that's my next question. Can you be addicted to... <laughs> <laughs> reading your Bible. I don't know if that's a thing. Yeah. But you know what? Maybe there's this obsessive reading Compulsive. and then like you, <laughs> you're now doing nothing with your life because you're just reading the Bible. Yeah. Is that, is, can that be done? Is that possible? Is there too much? So yeah. those are my two questions. Yeah, look, um, it's possible to do that. Um, but that is, most of the time, that is on the other side of the scale that not most people will be on. Uh, but it is possible to obsess with reading it. Remember what James one twenty two says. It says that um, uh, it's merely hearing the word is not enough. And you have to do what the word yeah. says. So most of the time, people like to read it, love the sound of the Bible, love the sweetness of the truth, but actually working it out. Mm-hmm. If you read the Bible, you find that you actually have to work and do other stuff that you have to do. So, <laughs> yeah, so that's that. But I would say with 
when you talked about time and rushing yeah, like and, and so on yeah. like a like a bible plan I yes guess yes having a plan is. helps you to i mean i know guys whose whose plan was to read the bible just opening the the bible for the day just opening randomly and saying god is speaking to me from this passage that doesn't help you because yeah, sometimes you can feel like god is speaking to you because god spoke through a donkey you definitely you know from time mm-hmm. to time speak from his word if you do that but you're not feeding yourself you're not systematically going through the word you're going to find yourself because the bible has got um 27 new testament and 39 old testament by just virtue of probability you're going to find yourself reading a lot of old testament stuff and you're going to find some stuff where you're just going to, every week you're just going to find those verses in the Bible that are judgmental, where there's judgment on a particular nation. Then you feel mm-hmm. like God is judging you all the time, you know. But read it to understand what, who God is, what God is doing. Begin from the beginning and work your way throughout to understand Him, understand what He w- has been doing and what that is, you know, and also just get a fuller picture of, and a revelation of what God is saying through that. In, in terms of reading, mm-hmm. um, would you consider audio Bibles part of that? Absolutely. Um, audio Bible is great. It's great because there's some people who've got uh, learning difficulties like, that involve just being, you know, reading. It's just not a plan for them. They just struggle to read. Um, audio Bibles are great for people like that. Or if you do have the capacity, but you're just one of those people that learn better when you're hearing because the people like that who are more audio then, you know, when they read something, audio Bibles are great as well. Yeah. Sounds cool. I have one last question. Mm-hmm. So um, whenever you talk to people and say you have like a problem or something like that, people always say all the answers are in the Bible. So yes. I, I will, as I'm going to give my own example here, as sort of as a single person, mm-hmm. um, I always thought, okay, the Bible has all the answers for me. Right? Yes. And then I think of all the stories that I know and none of them, talk about a single person in this century mm-hmm. or it, it, dealing with the, the, the things I'm dealing with as an individual. So yes. my question becomes then, how do I find those answers that are apparently in the Bible okay. when I don't know any stories that talk specifically about that? Okay, so John sixteen thirteen says the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of truth will lead us into all truth. Guide us into all truth. So what the Holy Spirit does when you invite him to be a part, and this is one thing I also want to advise, if you're going to read the Bible or study the Bible, make a habit of asking Holy Spirit to give you illumination. Say, please grant me a spirit of wisdom and of revelation to understand what I'm reading and to hear you. Um, Because there's a lot of stuff in the Bible that you can just read. There's things that you can read on a Sunday morning that when you read it in its, what it's saying, it's got absolutely nothing to do with your issue, but it's answering your issue because of the way the spirit of God applies the truth to you. I'll give you an example. Paul said to the church in Corinth, he used an example. He was talking about the rights of an apostle in first Corinthians nine. He said, uh, does the scripture not say, uh, do not muzzle the ox while it's treading grain? Right? And then he asks, is it with oxen that God is concerned? Surely he means it for us. Right? And then he speaks of how a person who ministers for the Lord should be paid for their ministry, uh, as you are saying that to the, to the Corinthian church. Um, <clears throat> but when you look at what he's using, he's talking about oxen. And if you go back to the Old Testament, it's, it's God saying, don't muzzle the oxen. And this is a law for people who have oxen. And when they are actually trading out the grain, don't like muzzle or put like a muzzle over their mouth so that they don't eat the grain. Let them be eating the grain as they are also trading it out. They're doing the work. The eating of the grain is part of what they're getting as remuneration. Now, when you, when you read that in its context, you would never in your mind think, is talking about a person and them being remunerated. But then Paul says, come on, guys, it's not talking about oxen, it's talking about us. What's he doing? Through the Spirit of God, there's an application of the truth in the Bible that seemed to be alien to him, being said, hey, actually, this can come to you. So that's a radical, very uh, sensational verse that I've used. Mm-hmm. But I'm just trying to put across how sometimes it's when you read a text that seems to have nothing to do with your with your situation, that the Holy Spirit can illuminate it, and you see 
God speaking to you through that scripture. And that's, what, and that's the beauty of, you know, of the word of God. You can never predict, you should, you should never become familiar with it. You should always come with an expectancy to say, God, I don't know how you're going to speak to me, but I know you're going to speak to me. And it's happened to me so many times. God deals with an issue that I'm, sorry, that I'm thinking about, that I'm going through through my daily reading, which I'm actually like a programmed reading. You know, some people don't like programmed reading. They think it's, you know, you stifle the voice of God. You're now programmed. It's planned so God can't speak. But you, you know, amazed how day after day God is speaking to you concerning a very real situation going on in your life where you're looking for answers and God speaks to you through it. You know, it's not even a prophecy, like a prediction. It's like a solution. Oh, now I know what I need to do. And you know in the knower of your know that God has spoken to me. And so, that's the beauty of being in the word and allowing Holy Spirit to do what Holy Spirit alone can do, which is to apply the truth you know, into your heart, into your uh, specific situation. Wow, that's just mind-blowing. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there are no more questions. Like Tino was saying earlier, we will never exhaust this topic. Yes. Um, but wow, this has been eye-opening for me. And um, just to close off, I'm... Hope it's inspired somebody to crack their Bible open. I mean, I did it and I've spent the longest time not reading my Bible because I was just like, too long, can't read it. <laughs> and, and it's transforming my life, even the, even the beginning yeah. of it. And now I have a new angle where I'm going to read the Old Testament concurrently with the New Testament for that relevance. And I guess the next step is to figure out a plan around that. Yeah. yeah. Fantastic. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I, I guess I would say we need to really learn to delight a lot more in it yeah. and use that as the motivation to continue to, because you will get tired here and there, mm -hmm. but you, you need that motivation to keep digging and discovering and going back and watching the action replay of that scene over and over and getting more from it. So, yeah. 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 I'm Dazzle. <laughs> the Biscuit. Follow us on Facebook, YouTube. <laughs> Thank you for listening to this week's episode of the Radiant Culture Podcast. If you want to make a contribution, make a suggestion, or have a request, you can get in touch with us via email on radiantatthehub.co.zw or inbox us on Facebook and Twitter. Look out for the next episode and remember to share this one with everybody you know. God bless. It's hot. It's fresh. It's uncut. Hashtag Real Talk on the Radiant Culture Podcast.